0: Ready to connect with the investment community here in Cleveland? Want to learn about the people, events, projects, and firms that are making a difference? Want all that, but feel like you don't have the time? This is the show for you. Welcome to Guardians of Finance. Brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland and hosted by Matt McLaughlin, Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management. Guardians of Finance will provide you with a chance to foster deeper connections and know what is getting the attention of Cleveland's investment community. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland and attend an educational or social event and find volunteer opportunities. And now, here's your host, Matt McLaughlin.
1: Welcome to the Guardians of Finance podcast. I am your host, Matt McLaughlin. In this episode, we talk with Michael McEwen, Chief Investment Officer at Markham Wealth. If you've been involved in the CFA Society over the past few years, you probably know Mike as he was formerly Society President and has always been very active in the community. What you may not know is Mike's story, how he got started in the business, and how he became Chief Investment Officer of one of Cleveland's most prominent registered investment advisors. We talked with Mike about his professional background, other organizations he's involved with, and a couple of his personal passions. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode with Mike McEwen. Mike, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Matt.
1: Sure. Now, usually I kind of let the guests introduce themselves, which I will do with you as well. But in prepping for this podcast, I was kind of wondering where we start. Do we start with? past CFA president, do we start with the CFA designation, the CPA designation, chief investment officer, former Morgan Stanley? Where do we start here? I feel like you've done so many things. So I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience and we'll go from there.
2: Well, now you're dating me because I have so much (laughs) experience and things to talk about. But (laughs) rewinding, I graduated from John Carroll University with an accounting and finance degree. And started my career at Morgan Stanley and really was very fortunate to work with two gentlemen there that I still work with today. And so I graduated in 2005 and, and worked at Morgan Stanley for a year. But I knew the success rate for financial advisors, which is what I officially was hired on, was not extremely high. And during that process, I also obtained my CPA license. And fortunately, the advisors that were my mentors also knew that the training process had some improvements to be made and really took me under their wing. And we set out to start our own registered investment advisory firm alongside an accounting firm named Skoda in late 2006. So that's a little bit of the background on how we got started and started the RIA, which was originally called Orem Wealth Management Group.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And so did you grow up here in Cleveland? The early
2: part of your life, what took you to John Carroll? Okay. Well, rewinding even farther. So I'm originally from Youngstown and my uncle was actually the head athletic trainer and is still the athletic trainer at John Carroll University. And he's been there for over 30 years. And that's how I became familiar with John Carroll and really just fell in love with the school and came up here and had really been in Cleveland ever since. So I really consider myself a Clevelander since I've lived here longer than anywhere else in my life.
1: And maybe kind of fast forward to the Orem experience and you guys had your own RIA, but people notice if they connect with you on LinkedIn that you're now the chief investment officer at a firm called Markham Wealth. So maybe take us through the progression there from that
2: RIA to kind of your current role. Sure. So we launched the firm with four people. And I really, I was employee number one, along with our two partners and an operations team member. And it was such a great experience because it felt like a startup inside of a financial industry practice, because I got exposure to so many different things. I started out as the chief compliance officer, but also worked on financial planning, research and portfolio management, sales, content and marketing, getting our website going, writing content around that. And we continued to grow the firm throughout the next decade alongside our accounting firm partner and eventually brought on a few other firms. And then in 2020, of all years, our accounting firm partner merged with Markham, which at the time had about 2,500 employees and Skoda had about 300 with three locations, whereas Markham had... Over 30, I want to say at the time. But what was interesting was that our advisory wealth management practice was larger than theirs, despite the Markham having a national accounting practice. So we actually took the lead in terms of the investment management platform and rebranded as Markham Wealth. But Markham Wealth is headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio, while our accounting firm partner is headquartered in New York City. And today, We have advisors in seven offices across the country. Inside of those Markham offices, Markham has 40 offices, and we're continuing to grow our footprint inside of the firm and just so many great partners, so many smart individuals that are leading their practice groups that we get to work with that really is serving our clients in a way that allows them to have so many tax and business services done. Under one roof and having that communication line open with us as the investment wealth manager on behalf of those clients.
1: You know, and I think you might be the first CPA we've had on the podcast. I think I'm right in my research there, but I could be wrong. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're in college. It sounds like you had accounting as a major. Was it ever a consideration to go kind of a public accounting kind of route? And if so, kind of what steered you back into the financial services world?
2: Yeah, so I knew I wanted to be a finance major and was planning on being an econ minor. And my accounting intro professor really encouraged me to consider accounting and dating myself again. It was around the 2001 recession. And I realized wow, John Carroll's getting recruiters from all of the top accounting firms in the country, We've got a great nationally recognized accounting program. And they're getting jobs. So maybe I should consider this. And so that led me to looking at accounting as a double major. And it came time to sign up for those internships. And something in my belly just wouldn't let me sign up to go the accounting route because I knew I wanted to be in, in the investing world essentially. So I kind of had an opportunity to take an accounting internship in the summer. Before my senior year and just had an opportunity to interview at Morgan Stanley and thought, well, this is really the direction I want to go. And that's what my gut is telling me. And so that's the way I went. Unfortunately, landed the internship and was set up with a great team to start my career.
1: So does that mean you're in the minority of people taking level two and you just breeze through the accounting portion of level two?
2: I have to say the rigor of the accounting program certainly helped me with the CFA exams and how heavy it was on the accounting side. And while I don't use a lot of those audit classes that I learned, I certainly incorporate much of the tax background that I learned and apply it to our investing philosophy of tax-efficient investing. And I've gone on to teach a lot of continuing education courses inside of Markham, but also for the Ohio Society of CPAs to really just let people know what we're doing and hopefully give them some ideas on how to apply some of the tax efficient investing strategies that lots of folks can benefit from.
1: For people wanting to get into either investments or maybe more specifically private wealth management, is that something that you think people should do and should have kind of an expertise in if they want to go in that field or is it something that, hey, it's nice to have, but you don't need it, you can kind of learn along the way. Like what are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think The tax and widening it out to accounting, accounting is the language of business. And whether you're an executive or in any part of the business ecosystem, you need to understand how balance sheets, income statements, cash flow, and then of course, how taxes work and affect your business or your personal balance sheet. And so I definitely think whether it's a formal education, becoming an accounting major can help but also you're going to have to learn it one way or another if you're going to grow your knowledge base over time and apply that to whatever line of business that that you end up in.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I know in my career, I kind of wish I had more of that background. So kudos to you for fighting the bullet when you were early on in your finance and learning development there.
2: For sure, for sure.
1: Now, I mentioned that you are a past president of the CFA Society of Cleveland. Can you talk us a little about how you got involved with the CFA Society and your progression through the society and maybe take us to kind of your involvement now?
2: Yes. So I was informally years ago asked to be on the programming committee. And as Matt knows, as a programming chair and past programming experience, it's a really important role inside of the CFA Society Cleveland. And I sat on that committee and really just got introduced. And I started to go to meetings just to learn about what was going on. And the programming is what really brought me in because I came down to lunches. I really didn't know anyone because our office was on the east side and I just didn't know a lot of folks. And it was a great way to start to network and also improve my knowledge base you hear from some of the great speakers that were coming in. And after being on that committee, I was asked to join the board eventually became programming chair of VP and president. And now I'm currently a past president, but still on the board. And I look at it as continuing all the great work that the past board members have done. I really considered us just stewards of what the past members have delivered for our members in the finance community. And today it's just continuing that and really trying to be innovative, think of ways that we can help all of our society members and bring great content, bring great connection with the community, with each other, and really just build up the CFA society in Cleveland.
1: Sure. As both of us know, being involved with the society, there's multiple different facets of value you get out of being a board member and kind of volunteering if there was for you one that would rise to the top as this was the most valuable thing I've gotten and maybe continue to get from the involvement in the board and the the CFA society, what would you say that is?
2: I really have to say it's the connection with the fellow members and board members. People that I really didn't know are now friends that can bounce ideas off of professionally and personally and that I know a lot better. And I think just having that connection has been probably the most beneficial aspect of being involved in the CFA society.
1: Maybe turning back to your work life instead of the volunteer life. You went from being the investments focused person at a Morgan Stanley branch, you were the CIO of a RIA and now you're the CIO of an RIA that's much bigger, much broader organization. Talk to us about the differences that you've seen in kind of your role in a CIO or analyst kind of role throughout that career progression. Because I'm guessing how your day is now is much different than it was 10 years ago when you were maybe a small RIA or even at Morgan Stanley.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think every year, what I realized right after I started my career was I'm continuing to stack learning on top of each other. And it's a never-ending learning cycle that eventually gets applied And 10 years ago, at more of a regional-based firm, really, it was a lot more operational duties that fell onto me. And today, it involves working with and mentoring more people. So whether that's working with our advisors that are across the country and solving problems for their clients, meeting with them, talking about our process, whether it's mentoring our analysts, traders. And bringing them along into thinking about how we're solving problems for our clients. That's really, I think, how it's evolved in just working with so many more people, which is just so great from younger folks to people that have been in the business for 50 plus years. So, really working with such a wide variety of people with experience and just trying to collaborate in a way that helps, whether it's their careers or helps our end clients. I think that's really how my day definitely is is a lot different, but it's fun. And I'm continuing to learn and continue to stack and add arrows to the quiver.
1: How would you recommend if there's younger listeners out there who want to get into kind of manager research and want to evolve into a CIO kind of role eventually, what would you tell them? Where should they start? And where should they focus on on getting experience if they're much earlier in their career?
2: Well, of course, I would say start with the CFA program as a great base for knowledge. But I think Continuous reading and just reading about what's going on in the industry, reading about and interacting with members of the community that have knowledge to share. There's so much content available from asset managers, from sell side that you can just get so much knowledge from that. And then I think interacting in person, in social media, trying to just continue to have conversations that are relevant to what's going on in markets, what's relevant for current processes and manager research and trying to understand what are best practices and how to get an edge into really delivering the best results for your clients.
1: Now, you don't have to name names for this next question, but do you have any best and worst manager meeting kind of stories like, oh man, that person wowed me or oh man, that was not a great meeting. Any stories you could share in generalities? And it's okay to say no?
2: No, I do have one that comes to mind. And it was somewhere late 2007 or early 2008, and it was in a conference room in Mayfield Village. And the asset manager, I believe it was a CIO, kicked his feet up on to the conference room table, and I was taken aback. And as you can imagine, he was not the most humble person in explaining his philosophy and process. And it was a multi-manager fund of funds at the time. And if you hadn't guessed it, late 2008 came around and the Madoff debacle was exposed and the fund had a pretty sizable allocation to the fund. So that was really probably one of my most memorable because I remember it at the time and was extremely turned off by it. And I wasn't totally surprised when the subsequent Madoff scandal was exposed and they had some exposure to it.
1: Now that you obviously you've been doing this for so long, are things like that kind of not tells you now, but things you really look into or red flags or on the flip side, I'm sure there's really good stories of maybe the more humble and whatever people that come in there. Are those things that you really you analyze everything now that you've been around for a while?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think with my gray hair, it comes with experience <laughs> and those non-verbal communication, all of those things, I really certainly pay more attention to than I did when I started. And Was probably a lot more focused on content and information rather than those types of observations that happen when you're in person or even on call. So definitely things I, I try to be aware of when meeting with folks just to pick up on whether people are telling you the truth or maybe not lying, but looking for deceptive activities that may lead you to potentially doubt the truthfulness that they're explaining.
1: I would suggest anyone who listens in on this to give you a follow. I think you post some really good content on LinkedIn and share your thoughts, which I know I myself will read and whatnot. What are you guys talking about right now from an investments perspective at Markham, whether it be shorter term things on economies or what are you guys talking about as an investment team right now?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think as it relates to the economy, I think the economists at large, looking back 18 months ago or a little over 12 months ago, we all know that such a large majority were predicting recession or 2023 that never occurred. And I think we're talking about the themes that probably led them astray. And it was understanding how potent the fiscal stimulus was from 2020 to 2021 and how the American consumer loves to spend money and understanding how the excess savings really can drive That longer than you think, because once Americans run out of money, we'll tap our credit cards and we'll continue to spend. So, not underestimating the strength of the economy or the consumer in as it relates to markets, thinking about some of the historical analogs that might be present, but also at the end of the day, just controlling what we can control. And that's our investment process. So, markets are going to do what they're going to do. So is the economy. But we really have the choice to respond in a thoughtful way. And I think what we try to do is really bring out scenario analysis for how we're going to respond, whether markets do poorly, whether it's equities, fixed income, or alternatives, or how we're going to respond if they do well. So trying to game that out in advance is really what we try to do from a process standpoint so we can respond in a thoughtful way to taking advantage of markets, whether they're up, whether they're down, whether they're sideways.
1: You mentioned historical analogs. Any particular ones that you guys are seeing parallels to right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few out there. Of course, we're in the election year. So that brings up a lot of data and potentially a small sample size. If I look back at what some of my statistics professors would say from John Carroll. But interesting nonetheless, and something to think about. But also some of the momentum that we've seen in markets after making a bottom in late 2022, how that looks as you go forward. I think at the end of the day, they work until they don't. And so it's definitely good to be aware of how markets have reacted in the past, but realize that we have to live in the present and make decisions in real time. And while those can provide a guide, they're certainly not a silver bullet in solving today's markets.
1: We mentioned your past volunteer experience with the CFA Society of Cleveland, but I think you're pretty active with other charities as well. So what else are you involved in on a more personal front?
2: Yeah, so I'm on the investment committee with the Ursuline Sisters of Cleveland, which has been a really rewarding experience and working with the sisters and the other board members there in guiding their portfolio. Involved in the past with Meals on Wheels, had been involved with the United Way of Greater Cleveland as well. And all of those have been great opportunities to spend time in the community, get to know people and really valuable causes that need people's attention and have really been fulfilling for myself.
1: On a personal front, what are some of your top hobbies or favorite things to do either in Cleveland or outside of Cleveland?
2: Well, some of my favorite things to do in Cleveland are being outside as much as possible. Unfortunately, we can't do that throughout the year, but I love to golf, spend time with my family boating and wake surfing. Outside of Cleveland, love to go skiing out west. It's definitely one of my favorite hobbies and spending time in the mountains helps reset the mind quite a bit.
1: It helps to do that to get through these long Cleveland winters. So that's great to hear. Now everyone's favorite part is the rapid fire question. So you ready if I just kind of go down the list and do a little rapid fire Q&A? Let's rock and roll. Do you have a nickname?
2: Yes, So my last name is McEwen. There is no Q in it, but all my friends call me Q.
1: (laughs) I like that one. That's pretty good. Favorite recipe to cook if you're a pretty active cook?
2: Not super active, but I can make a nice carbonara.
1: I think I saw this on LinkedIn that you posted kind of a reading list of what you're currently reading. But what's your favorite book about investing or financial topics?
2: My favorite book on investing is devil take the hindmost. Just all of the history of markets going back hundreds and hundreds of years. I think there's just so many great stories in there and lessons that we can all learn to apply today.
1: Profession you'd be in if you weren't in finance slash investing. And I'm not going to let you say an accountant since we already talked about that. So something completely outside of accounting or finance.
2: I mean, if I had my way, I would have been a professional soccer player in Europe but didn't have quite the skill set for that. So, but that's what I'm going to go with.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> I think you've mentioned you travel out West a lot for skiing. So this goes beyond ski travel, but what's your bucket list travel destination?
2: Bucket list travel destination is to go back to my motherland, Ireland, and actually planning that hopefully for this year to do some golfing there and really just spend some time just exploring the country. So that's really number one on my list.
1: Nice. Are you going to utilize the direct flight that we have from Cleveland now?
2: Yeah. I mean, that made it even more attractive. I think a direct flight is going to be awesome. Sure. Any hidden talents? Hidden talents. God, I already said wake surfing, Matt, (laughs) so I can't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No is okay because we're financial professionals. So hidden talents aren't our forte, I don't think. Yeah,
2: I don't think I have any.
1: All right. Favorite lunch spot in Cleveland?
2: Saigon on East 4th Street.
1: Nice. I like that one too. What's your favorite hidden gem, it could be food or otherwise, that's a go-to for you in Cleveland?
2: I guess I'll give you a go-to is Il Rion for pizza. And my hidden gem restaurant is Aaliyah. I
1: can't remember which other guest it was, but mentioned Il Rion before. And that's my personal go-to as well. So love it. Favorite Metro Park?
2: My favorite Metro Park is Chagrin, especially with the one with the castle. Just great hiking up there. Really cool. For sure. What shows are you watching right now? I'm watching Warrior on HBO. That's a really good one. And looking for new ideas too. get us through these winter months here. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Most memorable
1: Cleveland sports moment. If you're a Cleveland fan, I guess growing up in Youngstown, maybe you could go to the Pittsburgh side. But if you're a Cleveland sports fan, most memorable moment.
2: No, Cleveland was the team growing up, even though certainly it can be a city divided between Pittsburgh Cleveland. My favorite sports memory is, of course, watching the NBA finals. I was at home just watching it, but it was amazing. And I'll say my second one, though, was even just going to the World Series in 1995 with my family. Even though we didn't win the chip, it was still just an amazing and fun experience to be there and enjoy that.
1: Well, Mike, that's all the rapid fire questions we have. Thanks for joining the podcast today. It was great talking with you. And as a fellow board member and society board member, thanks for all your hard work and volunteering over the years. So
2: appreciate it. Matt, thank you for having me. And thanks for doing such a great job with the podcast.
0: You've been listening to Guardians of Finance brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head on over to Guardiansoffinance.com, where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland, attend an educational or social event, and find volunteer opportunities. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Guardians of Finance.